Hello, and welcome to Across the States, the premier podcast for the American Legislative Exchange Council and the American City County Exchange. I'm your host, Hunter Hamberlin. Today, we are joined by former Colorado Representative Lori Sane. Lori Sane is now County Commissioner for Weld County, Colorado. Dickie Shinor, Chief of Staff for the Wyoming Department of Education, is also in attendance today. Dickie recently finished a term of City Councilman to the City of Cheyenne, Wyoming. Former City Councilman Shinor and Commissioner Sane come on the podcast to talk about how oil and gas development can help fund education in local government. Commissioner Sane, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Hunter. Hey, Dickie, thanks for joining us. Good morning. What mechanisms are used to generate revenue for education and local governments through oil and gas production? Well, Colorado's a little different than Wyoming. In the 70s, Colorado legislators designed uh, the state's oil and gas system to keep the majority of tax revenues in the community where this development actually occurs. It's called a local ad valorem property tax. Uh, it's a fancy Latin term for to the value. So it's basically a, a tax imposed on the value of property. And so roughly 70 to 80% of the industry's tax obligation goes to local governments, including school districts. For example, one of my school districts, Platte Valley, 97% of their district budget comes from ad valorem taxes paid on mineral production and equipment. And so being oil and gas is very cyclical. At one point in 2016, the, bud- the district was looking at a budget shortfall between uh, 300,000 and nearly 1 million. But in 2019, it was a very good year. So the state share of total funding across the school districts out of, there was only eight school districts that were fully funded. One of those was Platte Valley. So in our state, um, for some districts, the state has to foot nearly the entire bill, but not in Weld County, especially in good production years. So this puts money in the coffers in the state for other uses. Is this method for funding local government and education only viable in high energy producing states like Colorado or Wyoming? In short, do other states take advantage or could other states take advantage of this? Well, if you have a mineral-rich state, Hunter, the one caution I would have, and I'll just talk about this, I'm sure Vicki has a, a different viewpoint, but you know, for Colorado, at least, it's really, really easy for our bureaucrats to have mission creep and fund more and more pet projects. So you can learn from our mistakes in Colorado. Uh, I had to run a bill concerning the methodology to distribute money in the severance tax fund. And again, as I mentioned, oil and gas is very cyclical. So it was a common practice that the legislature funded what we call tier two priority projects. Not not the first tier, but the two the second tier. But they did it before we actually were certain we had the money. So uh, sure, there were estimates by fiscal analysts, but oftentimes they were wrong because they don't have a crystal ball. And we'd have to claw back money. So that's not only expensive, but it's morally repugnant if you've hired people to do a certain job and then you have to let them go. So with my bill, if if you're ever lucky enough to have the windfalls that we have with oil and gas, for example, keep funds in reserve and don't release them to a date certain. Ours is August 15th. So now if the need to have programs are fully funded, then and only then do we fund our want to have. So it's budgeting like you do at the kitchen table. You pay bills or commitments first before you spend on things that are, you know, they're nice, they're valuable, but they aren't the core mission of state government. Why is collaboration between industry and local government so important in this regard? How can we use oil and gas generated revenue to reduce public cost? Hunter, if I could just backtrack quick on on number one and number two for Wyoming purposes. We, We have ad valorem as well. 
But the issue we're facing right now is federal policy. You know, so there are three places that mineral activity can occur, private land, state land, and federal land. And so with states like Texas, Oklahoma, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania, they've got oil and gas activity going on on private land or even state land. They aren't as negatively impacted by the federal bans. So when this administration came in and shut it down, shut production down on federal land, that had a real discriminatory impact on mountain states that have a lot of federal land within their borders. And just to give you some numbers of what we're talking about, our our governor went and spoke to Congress this week and talked about eight Western states with federal oil and gas leasing programs, uh, Wyoming being one of those, with estimated losses of private investment of $2.3 billion, production value losses of $882 million, and tax revenue losses of about $345 million just in the first year of this moratorium. So there's a real discriminatory impact when private and state production is going full blast and then the federal stuff is just being shut down indefinitely. So I think that's really important to note the difference between the impact this has on on Western states versus other states. We rely on that revenue for numerous things in our state budget, but It's not just the tax revenue that comes out of it. There's an enormous economic impact with all of the jobs and service sector industry that's related to that in the oil and gas and extractive industries as well, on top of the severance taxes and the royalties, et cetera. When you talk about your question was collaboration between industry and local governments, you know, yeah, I think that's a big deal, certainly for us when local government gets that ad valorem property tax, they get sales tax off of the economic activity that's occurring in that local government related to fossil fuel industry. So, you know, and then of course, these companies are usually in my experience are trying to be very good community partners and have philanthropic efforts in the community with the schools or or with nonprofits locally. So um, yeah, I think that collaboration between the two is, is really important. The current administration has paused oil and gas leasing on federal lands. What does this mean for local governments and school systems who receive funding from oil and gas development? Yeah, great question. You know, it's going to be extremely challenging for some of these Western states, us included. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting the state that's going to get that their schools are going to get defunded the most appears to be New Mexico. And what's fascinating about that is the Secretary of the Interior is a former congressman from New Mexico. So just, you know, even an attack on on her home state is just really, really peculiar. You know, the other thing to point out here is this isn't reducing usage of oil and gas domestically. All it's doing is increasing how much we're importing from foreign producers. And we all know who those foreign producers are. It's China, Russia, Venezuela. It's countries and regimes that we don't want to prop up economically, particularly at the expense of our own domestic jobs and citizens. So it's really a backwards way to do things. And it's going to be 
uh, extremely hard on states and on K-12 education for mountain states going forward if this continues. Wyoming is affected much more by these orders because, for example, BLM issued 62 new oil and gas leases in Colorado in 2019, but in Wyoming it's over a thousand. So most of our oil producing region is um, on privately owned land along the northern front range, which includes Weld County. So we're largely unaffected by the, the president's order. But you had asked about, I believe, collaboration between industry and local governments. And I just want to give an example. Um, so Denver recently, six-third council members signed a letter to President Biden requesting basically what amounts to a fracking ban. But, you know, these same city council members, they represent a city and county that benefit from the revenue the industry brings through taxes. You know, they have a lot of their oil and gas companies that have office buildings downtown. They reap, you know, the rewards from the revenue they not only bring in the city, but through conventions and meetings. So Weld County actually crafted a letter to our oil and gas companies and say, hey, why don't you try to change the scenery and move to A, where, you know, we want you in Weld County. This is the majority of your employment base. And we appreciate your partnership. And they do have a lot of grants to our local schools for STEM programs and and things that our school needs. So, so we wrote a their industry letter, so to speak, to invite them to change their office view to one that actually uh, wants them here. What can state and local lawmakers do to protect against oil and gas development restrictions? Well, Hunter, one of the big pushes in Colorado, and we tend to be a petri dish sometimes for certain policies, but the cry has been, let's give the local governments more local control over oil and gas. Now, do all local governments have that expertise? And I would say that's a resounding no. But what I did do as a state lawmaker is I introduced a series of amendments to a very anti-industry bill in 2019. They were advertising local control in the bill, but only if it was more strict than the state. So I made sure that um, you know we can control our own destiny in Weld County, for example, and regulate oil and gas you know, to the extent where it actually fostered that development. And so we created our own oil and gas department. So that's one of the things we've done. And we've really showed our expertise in that field. And we just signed um, a memorandum of understanding with the state that they will lean very heavily on us when it comes to land use permits. And that's really going to provide certainty and stability for that industry, which is going to provide certainty and stability for our revenues in Weld County and for the rest of the state. So we've kind of pioneered and charted a path forward for the rest of the state. And that's an example, Hunter, of how county governments can really provide that leadership in those areas to benefit not only our citizens, but the rest of the state. And that's, again, back to the value that ACE brings. And a lot of state lawmakers moving into these local government positions can truly help bring that leadership and complete that that arc of knowledge and training. And ACE really does help promote that understanding across not only states, but you know, folks that share our views for limited government federalism and the whole nine yards. When it comes to local, from my time serving in local government, you know, one thing I would I would note is there are national organizations that pay to have you know, organized 
local efforts, particularly they will refer to them as sort of landowner or surface owner coalitions, things of that nature, to organize, to advocate in front of local government entities against any sort of oil and gas development. And what I've found is they're given sort of national narratives, national talking points, and really try to beat up on the local officials with fear-mongering about oil and gas activity. And so I think one of the most important things for local lawmakers to do is make sure that the industry partners are there as well in the face of the local government entities saying, look, first of all, that's not true. And second of all, here's all the wonderful things we do for your community in your state. Here are all the jobs we provide. Here's all the tax revenue we provide, et cetera. So I think it's really important that local lawmakers actually make the effort to get the industry people there to provide the different perspective because we know the paid leftist advocates will be there and they will be advocating. And at the state level, you know, certainly preventing bad policies at the state, bad policies at the Oil and Gas Conservation Commission at the state level, those are all important. And, you know, I think even more so at this point too, I just saw a bill proposed in Congress from a congressman in Utah and Arizona working on possibly trying to engage in some exchanges with state land and federal land. You know, a lot of times in states, there's state land that's pocketed within federal land and vice versa, trying to figure out a way to get some exchanges going. Because one of the issues with the federal land versus state land is everything's checkerboarded in ownership. And to do horizontal drilling, fracking, you need you know, contiguous large swaths of land. And so you've got a lot of states that have state land that could be produced, but can't because it's checkerboarded with federal land all around it, which now has a moratorium. So I think legislatures really need to start engaging more at the federal level in terms of how to, you know, do land swaps or better negotiate between federal and state ownership and and let the feds optimize their land but then free up the state land for states to optimize on their end. One of the things that I'll mention too is that when we're talking about, um, there's a paradigm shift coming, you know, not only from industry, but I believe local lawmakers as well, that is we really need to shift from that kind of top of the market awareness, the wholesale approach, more of a retail approach. Because for the message to penetrate all the way down to an individual homeowner, for example, Elected officials, I think, need to partner with oil and gas operators, you know, knock on doors if necessary, engage those folks in when they move to Weld County from somewhere else. We're used to oil and gas activity here. Somebody moving in from a different state or even across the state uh, may not understand what's going on. So there are some companies here pioneering a great retail sales model. They're doing it right. They reach out a minimum of seven times the homeowners within a certain radius of the well pad. They describe the process start to finish. They have an industry rep engage them constantly to make sure they're not being unduly affected by the activity. And really, when folks see the advantage that, that monies from these activities fund their schools, they build their roads, they build their libraries, all these benefits, they, they understand that a little bit of inconvenience and a certain amount of unsightliness for a limited time is very worth it. And all the, the hyped up charges you know, with health that some of these fear-mongering folks are also knocking door to door. 
we can dispel a lot of those really it's um, <laughs> it's propaganda that has no basis in science and we can we can dispel those myths and those lies and really get through those homeowners that you know well and gas activity is really not only benefited our region, but it's brought up a standard of living for so many people and brought people, you know, out of poverty in our region as well. And so that heart story needs to be told just a little bit more, I think, rather than just the dollars and cents part of it. Well said. Well said, Commissioner. All right. Thank you, Commissioner Sane and Dickie for coming on the podcast today. This has been a great episode of Across the States, the premier podcast for Alec and for Ace. Thank you for listening. You'll hear us next time. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.